Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. published in 1764, it is generally regarded as the first gothic novel. Set in a haunted castle, the novel produced a new style that has endured ever since and has shaped the modern-day aesthetic of the goth subculture. Although in later editions of this novel's publication, the author acknowledged his authorship In the first publication, the story was purported to be a recently discovered ancient manuscript from the time of the Crusades. Many years later, it was discovered that the main character, Manfred, was inspired by the real medieval king of Sicily by that name. This historic Manfred is remembered for being noble, handsome, and intellectual along with being excommunicated by three different popes. This excerpt opens on a scene where Princess Isabella is fleeing through the castle from the wicked Manfred. He had recently asked her to marry him on the same evening her own fiancé, Manfred's own son, died by a giant helmet falling from the sky upon him.
Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Princess Isabella recollected a subterraneous passage which led from the vaults of the castle to the church of St. Nicholas. If she could reach the altar before she was overtaken, she knew even Manfred would not dare to profane the sacredness of the place. And she determined, if no other means of deliverance offered, to shut herself up forever among the holy virgins whose convent was contiguous to the cathedral. In this resolution, she seized a lamp that burned at the foot of the staircase and hurried towards the secret passage. The lower part of the castle was hollowed into several intricate cloisters, and it was not easy for one under so much anxiety to find the door that opened into the cavern. An awful silence reigned throughout those subterraneous regions, except now and then some blasts of wind that shook the doors she had passed, and which, grating on the rusty hinges, were re-echoed through that long labyrinth of darkness. Every murmur struck her with new terror, yet more she dreaded to hear the wrathful voice of Manfred urging his domestics to pursue her. She trod as softly as impatience would give her leave, yet frequently stopped and listened to hear if she was followed. In one of those moments, she thought she heard a sigh. She shuddered and recoiled a few paces, in a moment, she thought she heard the step of some person. Her blood curdled. She concluded it was Manfred. Every suggestion that horror could inspire rushed into her mind. She condemned her rash flight, which had thus exposed her to his rage in a place where her cries were not likely to draw anybody to her assistance. Yet the sound seemed not to come from behind. If Manfred knew where she was, he must have followed her. She was still in one of the cloisters, and the steps she had heard were too distinct to proceed from the way she had come. Cheered with this reflection, and hoping to find a friend in whoever was not the prince, she was going to advance, when a door that stood ajar at some distance to the left was opened gently. But ere her lamp, which she held up, could discover who opened it, the person retreated on seeing the light.
Isabella, whom every incident was sufficient to dismay, hesitated whether she should proceed. Her dread of Manfred soon outweighed every other terror. The very circumstance of the person avoiding her gave her a sort of courage. It could only be, she thought, some domestic belonging to the castle. Her gentleness had never raised her an enemy, and conscious innocence made her hope that, unless sent by the prince's order to seek her, his servants would rather assist than prevent her flight. Fortifying herself with these reflections, and believing by what she could observe that she was near the mouth of the subterraneous cavern, she approached the door that had been opened. But a sudden gust of wind that met her at the door extinguished her lamp and left her in total darkness. Alone, in so dismal a place, her mind imprinted with all the events of the day, hopeless of escaping, expecting every moment the arrival of Manfred, and far from tranquil on knowing she was within reach of somebody, she knew not whom, who for some cause seemed concealed thereabouts. All these thoughts crowded on her distracted mind, and she was ready to sink under her apprehensions. She addressed herself to every saint in heaven and inwardly implored their assistance. For a considerable time, she remained in an agony of despair. At last, as softly as was possible, she felt for the door and having found it, entered trembling in the vault from whence she had heard the sigh and steps. It gave her a kind of momentary joy to perceive an imperfect ray of clouded moonshine gleam from the roof of the vault, which seemed to be fallen in, and from whence hung a fragment of earth or building, she could not distinguish which, that appeared to have been crushed inwards. She advanced eagerly towards this chasm when she discerned a human form standing close against the wall. She shrieked, believing in the ghost of her betrothed Conrad. The figure, advancing, said in a submissive voice, Be not alarmed, lady. I will not injure you. Isabella, a little encouraged by the words and tone of voice of the stranger, and recollecting that this must be the person who had opened the door, recovered her spirits enough to reply, Sir, whoever you are, take pity on a wretched princess, standing on the brink of destruction. Assist me to escape from this fatal castle or in a few moments I may be made miserable forever. Alas, said the stranger, what can I do to assist you? I will die in your defense. But I am unacquainted with the castle, 
and want. Oh, said Isabella, hastily interrupting him. Help me but to find a trapdoor that must be hereabout, and it is the greatest service you can do for me, for I have not a minute to lose. Saying these words, she felt about on the pavement and directed the stranger to search likewise for a smooth piece of brass enclosed in one of the stones. That, said she, is the lock which opens with a spring of which I know the secret. If we can find that, I may escape. If not, alas, courteous stranger, I fear I shall have involved you in my misfortunes. Manfred will suspect you for the accomplice of my flight, and you will fall a victim to his resentment. I value not my life, said the stranger, and it will be some comfort to lose it in trying to deliver you from his tyranny. Generous youth, said Isabella, how shall I ever... As she uttered those words, a ray of moonshine streaming through a cranny of the ruin above shone directly on the lock they sought. Oh, transport, said Isabella. Here is the trap door. And, taking out the key, she touched the spring, which, starting aside, discovered an iron ring. Lift up the door, said the princess. The stranger obeyed, and beneath appeared some stone steps descending into a vault totally dark. We must go down here, said Isabella. Follow me, dark and dismal as it is, we cannot miss our way. It leads directly to the church of St. Nicholas. But, perhaps, added the princess modestly, you have no reason to leave the castle, nor have I farther occasion for your service. In a few minutes I shall be safe from Manfred's rage. Only let me know to whom I am so much obliged. I will never quit you, said the stranger eagerly, until I have placed you in safety. Nor think me, princess, more generous than I am, though you are my principal care. The stranger was interrupted by a sudden noise of voices that seemed approaching, and they soon distinguished these words. Talk not to me of necromancers. I tell you she must be in the castle. I will find her in spite of enchantment. Oh, heavens, cried Isabella, it is the voice of Manfred. Make haste, or we are ruined, and shut the trap door after you. Saying this, she descended the steps, and as the stranger hastened to follow her, he let the door slip out of his hands. It fell, and the spring closed over it. He tried in vain to open it, not having observed Isabella's method of touching the spring, nor had he many moments to make an essay. The noise of the falling door had been heard by Manfred, 
who directed by the sound, hastened thither, attended by his servants with torches. It must be Isabella, cried Manfred, before he entered the vault. She is escaping by the subterraneous passage, but she cannot have gotten far. What was the astonishment of the prince when, instead of Isabella, the light of the torches discovered to him the young peasant whom he thought confined under the fatal helmet. Traitor, said Manfred, how camest thou here? I thought thee endurance above in the court. I am no traitor, replied the young man boldly, nor am I answerable for your thoughts. Presumptuous villain, cried Manfred, dost thou provoke my wrath? Tell me, how hast thou escaped from above? Thou hast corrupted thy guards, and their lives shall answer it. My poverty, said the peasant calmly, will disculpate them. Though the ministers of a tyrant's wrath, to thee they are faithful, and but to willing to execute the orders which you unjustly imposed upon them. Art thou so hardy as to dare my vengeance? said the prince. Tell me, I will know thy accomplices. There was my accomplice, said the youth, smiling and pointing to the roof. Manfred ordered the torches to be held up, and perceived that one of the cheeks of the enchanted cask had forced its way through the pavement of the court. His servants had let it fall over the peasant, and had broken through into the vault, leaving a gap through which the peasant had pressed himself some minutes before he was found by Isabella. Was that the way by which thou didst descend? said Manfred. It was, said the youth. But what noise was that, said Manfred, which I heard as I entered the cloister? A door clapped, said the peasant. I heard it as well as you. What door, said Manfred hastily. I am not acquainted with your castle, said the peasant. This is the first time I ever entered it in this vault the only part of it within which I ever was. But I tell thee, said Manfred, wishing to find out if the youth had discovered the trap-door, it was this way I heard the noise. My servants heard it too. My lord, interrupted one of them, to be sure it was the trap-door and he was going to make his escape. Peace, blockhead said the prince angrily. If he was going to escape, how should he come on this side? I will know from his own mouth what noise it was I heard. Tell me truly, thy life depends on thy veracity. My veracity is dearer to me than my life, said the peasant, nor would I purchase the one by forfeiting the other. Indeed, young philosopher, said Manfred, contemptuously, Tell me then, what was the noise I heard? Ask me what I can answer, said he. Manfred, growing impatient at the steady valor and indifference of the youth, cried, Well then, thou man of truth, answer. 
was it the fall of the trap door that I heard? It was, said the youth. It was, said the prince, and how didst thou come to know there was a trap door here? I saw the plate of brass by a gleam of moonshine, replied he. But what told thee it was a lock, said Manfred? How didst thou discover the secret of opening it? Providence, that delivered me from the helmet, was able to direct me to the spring of a lock, said he. Providence should have gone a little farther and have placed thee out of the reach of my resentment, said Manfred. When Providence had taught thee to open the lock, it abandoned thee for a fool who did not know how to make use of its favors. Why didst thou not pursue the path pointed out for thy escape? Why didst thou shut the trap door before thou hadst descended the steps? I might ask you, my lord, said the peasant, how I, totally unacquainted with your castle, was to know that those steps led to any outlet but I scorn to evade your questions. Wherever those steps lead to, perhaps I should have explored the way. I could not be in a worse situation than I was. But the truth is, I let the trap door fall. Your immediate arrival followed. I had given the alarm. What imported it to me whether I was seized a minute sooner or a minute later. Thou art a resolute villain for thy years, said Manfred. Yet on reflection, I suspect thou dost but trifle with me. Thou hast not yet told me how thou didst open the lock. That I will show you, my lord, said the peasant and taking up a fragment of stone that had fallen from above, he laid himself on the trap door and began to beat on the piece of brass that covered it, meaning to gain time for the escape of the princess. This presence of mind, joined to the frankness of the youth, staggered Manfred. He even felt a disposition towards pardoning one who had been guilty of no crime. Manfred was not one of those savage tyrants who wanton in cruelty unprovoked. The circumstances of his fortune had given an asperity to his temper, which was naturally humane, and his virtues were always ready to operate when his passions did not obscure his reason. While the prince was in this suspense, a confused noise of voices echoed through the distant vaults. As the sound approached, he distinguished the clamors of some of his domestics, whom he had dispersed through the castle in search of Isabella, calling out, Where's my lord? Where's the prince? Here I am, said Manfred, as they came nearer. Have you found the princess? The first that arrived replied, Oh, my lord, I am glad we have found you. Found me, said Manfred. Have you found the princess? We thought we had, my lord, said the fellow, looking terrified. 
But, but what, cried the prince, has she escaped? Jack and I, my lord, yes, I and Diego, interrupted the second, who came up in still greater consternation. Speak one of you at a time, said Manfred. I ask you, where is the princess? We do not know, said they both together, but we are frightened out of our wits. So I think, blockheads, said Manfred. What is it has scared you thus? Oh, my lord, said Jack, Diego has seen such a sight. Your highness would not believe our eyes. What new absurdity is this? cried Manfred. Give me a direct answer, or by heaven, why, my lord, if it please your highness to hear me, said the poor fellow, Diego and I, yes, I and Jack, cried his comrade, did not I forbid you to speak both at a time, said the prince. You, Jack, answer, for the other fool seems more distracted than thou art. What is the matter? My gracious lord, if it please your highness to hear me, Diego and I, according to your highness's orders, went to search for the young lady. But being comprehensive that we might meet the ghost of my young lord, your highness's son, God rest his soul, and he has not received Christian burial. Sot, cried Manfred in rage. Is it only a ghost, then, that thou hast seen? Oh, worse, worse, my lord, cried Diego. I had rather have seen ten whole ghosts. Grant me patience, said Manfred. These blockheads distract me. Out of my sight, Diego. And thou, Jack, tell me in one word, art thou sober? Art thou raving? Thou wast wont to have some sense, as the other sought frightened himself and thee too. Speak, what is it he fancies he has seen? Why, why, my lord, replied Jack, trembling, I was going to tell your highness that since the misfortune of my young lord, God rest his precious soul, not one of us, your highness's faithful servants, indeed we are, my lord, though poor men, I say, not one of us has dared to set a foot about the castle, but two together. So Diego and I, thinking that my young lady might be in the great gallery, went up there to look for her and Tell her your highness wanted something to impart to her. Oh, blundering fools, cried Manfred, and in the meantime she has made her escape. Because you were afraid of goblins? Why, thou knave, she left me in the gallery. I came from thence myself. For all that, she may be there still for aught I know, said Jack but the devil shall have me before I seek her there again. Poor Diego, I do not believe he will ever recover it. Recover what? said Manfred. 
Am I never to learn what it is has terrified these rascals? But I lose my time. Follow me, and I will see if she is in the gallery. For heaven's sake, my dear, good lord, cried Jack, do not go to the gallery. The devil himself, I believe, is in the chamber next to the gallery. Manfred, who hitherto had treated the terror of his servants as an idle panic, was struck at this new circumstance. He recollected the apparition of the portrait and the sudden closing of the door at the end of the gallery. His voice faltered, and he asked with disorder, What is in the great chamber? My lord, when Diego and I came into the gallery, he went first, for he said he had more courage than I. So when we came into the gallery, we found nobody. We looked under every bench and stool, and still we found nobody. Were all the pictures in their places? said Manfred. Yes, my lord, but we did not think of looking behind them. Well, well said Manfred. Proceed. When we came to the door of the great chamber, we found it shut. And could you not open it? Oh, yes, my lord. Would to the heaven we had not. Nay, it was not I either. It was Diego. He was grown foolhardy and would go on, though I advised him not. If ever I open a door that is shut again, trifle not, said Manfred, shuddering. But tell me what you saw in the great chamber on opening the door. I, my lord, I was behind Diego, but I heard the noise. Tell me, I adjure thee by the souls of my ancestors, what was it thou sawest? What was it thou heardest? It was Diego sought. It was not I, my lord. I only heard the noise. Diego had no sooner opened the door than he cried out and ran back. I ran back too and said, Is it the ghost? The ghost? No, no, said Diego, and his hair stood on end. It is a giant, I believe. He is all clad in armor, for I saw his foot and part of his leg, and they are as large as the helmet below in the court. And he said these words, my lord. We heard a motion and the rattling of armor, as if the giant was rising, for Diego had told me since that he believes the giant was lying down, for the foot and leg were stretched at length on the floor. Before we could get to the end of the gallery, we heard the door of the great chamber clap behind us, but we did not dare turn back to see if the giant was following us. Yet, now I think on it, we must have heard him if he had pursued us. But for heaven's sake, could my lord send for the chaplain and have the castle exercised? For for certain it is enchanted. Your behavior is above your seeming, said Manfred. 
viewing him with surprise and admiration. Hereafter I will reward your bravery. But now, continued he with a sigh, I am so circumstanced that I dare trust no eyes but my own. However, I give you leave to accompany me. Manfred, when he first followed Isabella from the gallery, had gone directly to the apartment of his wife, concluding the princess had retired thither. Manfred was now returning from the vault, attended by the peasant and a few of his servants whom he had obliged to accompany him. He ascended the staircase without stopping till he arrived at the gallery, at the door of which he met Hippolyta and her chaplain. When Diego had been dismissed by Manfred, he had gone directly to the princess's apartment with the alarm of what he had seen. That excellent lady, who no more than Manfred doubted of the reality of the vision, yet affected to treat it as a delirium of the servant. Willing, however, to save her lord from any additional shock, and prepared by a series of griefs not to tremble at any accession to it, she determined to make herself the first sacrifice. If fate had marked the present hour for their destruction, dismissing the reluctant Matilda to her arrest, who in vain sued for leave to accompany her mother, and attended only by her chaplain, Hippolyta had visited the gallery and great chamber, and now, with more serenity of soul than she had felt for many hours, she met her lord, and assured him that the vision of the gigantic leg and foot was all a fable, and the dark and dismal hour of the night on the minds of his servants. She and the chaplain had examined the chamber and found everything in the usual order. Manfred, though persuaded like his wife that the vision had been no work of fancy, recovered a little from the tempest of mind into which so many strange events had thrown him. Ashamed, too, of his inhuman treatment of a princess who returned every injury with new marks of tenderness and duty, he felt returning love forcing itself into his eyes.